Episode number 21 of the Media Narrative Podcast. I'm Rob Hoschild. This is a show featuring media makers, their stories, and their process. You know, Howard Zinn, the great activist and writer and educator, in one of his books says something about that the role of the artist is to realize the way things really ought to be and then wrestle with how far away from that ideal we really are. Matt Jensen is a musician, teacher, composer, activist, and artist who's working very hard to fulfill what he sees as his mission, that is to encourage more love, justice, and sometimes dancing in the world. At Berkeley in Boston, he teaches the music and message of Bob Marley. At the same time, he performs and records with his own band, and lately takes his talents as a pianist and vocalist on the road with major artists. He's also the guy who wrote the theme music for this podcast, but we're going to hear a little bit of his first crack at a media narrative theme, and I gotta tell you, it's pretty damn good as a theme. In a moment, we'll sit down with Matt Jensen. He'll talk about his process of musical and mental prep for a recent European tour with reggae band Groundation, his approach to teaching his course, The Music and Life of Bob Marley, and, well, let's just say we get into the politics a little bit. All right. Well, Matt Jensen, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, thank you for composing the theme music for the show, too, by the way. My pleasure. Yeah, man. It Afro sounds... Beatfish. That's it. That's the name that you came up with, and people really love that theme. I get a lot of comments on it, so we're going to... Uh, at some point, I, I, I will unspool the entire version of it for people to hear, uh, but I want to talk about the theme music, but just... Because no one's ever heard it, I wanted everyone to hear an earlier version before we settled on Afro Beatfish. Here is that tune. I don't even know that it had a name. Iteration one. But anyway, this is cool. So this was the great theme music that Matt came up with, and I'm just going to fade this down and out uh, because I want to get back into the conversation. So, uh, yeah, you wrote great theme music for me, two different versions, and who knows what we're going to do. So, you know, we've both been at Berkeley for a long time for, I mean, I've been there for 26 years. Uh, you've been there teaching. So eight, 18 now, I think. Right, at Berkeley yeah. College of Music. And before that, you went to New England Conservatory, after you graduated keyboard, you studied what at New England Conservatory? Piano, jazz piano, yep. Then you played with all kinds of big name musicians around Boston, like Ronnie Earl and the Broadcasters and Muddy Sam McLean. And when I met you, it was around 25 years ago, and you were working, well, you were in Closet Fish at the time. That was the band you were in. And you came onto campus as a music journalist working on a story about who Chester Thompson? Is yeah, that was? right. You got it. Yeah. yeah. So what was like what was the deal? Were you was that mainly what you were doing at the time? Well, you know, I was a musician struggling to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, you all you people out there in Radio Land have heard that being a musician is difficult, um, oftentimes for most from a financial perspective. And um that's kind of what it was. It's not that I, this gig came along to write for this 
magazine. Yeah, what was it called? Midi, no, Midi magazine. Oh, yeah. Right? It, right. it folded. Yeah, makes like, sense. After five years or something like that. But I forget how I got connected with them, but I've always had a decent writing writing abilities that just sort of come naturally. It's actually a sort of a musical thing for me. It's like composing music to write words. And um, got that, that gig, um, and it was a great way, you know, to stay involved with music in some way, shape, or form and make some money. Um, and I forget, is that how we met? That, I, that you were... Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that's how we met. I remember we were in the 150 building, and I was taking you down for an interview with somebody. I don't know, remember who it was. So that's how we first met. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about right at the outset was this tour you just came back from. Mm -hmm. You were playing keyboard with Groundation, which is a, a pretty big band, originally formed in California, and they were touring Europe. So I'm wondering what it was like to do what the band did. I'm wondering what it was like you know, when I think of what bands do on the road or in the studio, to me, that is like making media, too. It is part of creating something and presenting it to people. So I'm wondering what it was like to be part of that tour. I'm wondering how you prepared for it, how it was to be on it on a day-to-day -day basis, how the band achieved what it did on a day-to-day -day basis in all those countries you were in. What, what was that like? How did you prepare and how did it go? Well, preparation, <clears throat> this band, so yes, it's called Groundation. They're based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've known about them for many years. They're probably about a 15-year-old band, and I've known about them for 10 years. Whenever they used to come through Boston, I used to lend my keyboard rig to the original keyboard player, so that's how I kind of got to know them. Uh -huh. um, and they've always been, uh, they definitely come from the roots of offshoot of reggae and the socio-political offshoot of mm -hmm. roots reggae and that's always been very attractive to me right um so uh, and they the people in the band who originated it were uh heavily influenced by jazz so there's a lot of improvisation and some really cool kind of challenging chord changes and and these kind of things so fits prep with all of your stuff as fits well. with me like a glove um so preparation was actually pretty difficult not difficult but time consuming i should mm. say um, which you wouldn't expect uh, necessarily from a reggae band because s many forms of reggae uh, um, are fairly simplistic when it comes to uh, harmony. When it comes to understanding the rhythm and stuff, well, you need to really live it. So that's not easy. And I, But that's for me it is because I've just been doing it for so long and so addicted to it and love it and been to Jamaica a million times mm -hmm. and, and absorbed it. But So just from a musical standpoint, I had to get up it was about a week, about two weeks before Berkeley's the semester started. I was like, I better start learning this music because it's not going to be just easy, a couple chords and go. Mm -hmm. And I had to spend many, many hours. Just I transcribed all the, the songs. There were about 26 tunes that Harrison, the lead singer, asked me to know. Yeah. Um, so I spent hours and hours and hours at my piano just transcribing. And they had charts that they were going to send me, but I said, no, don't send them yet because I want to do it myself because that's going to get me deeper into understanding the music. So there was a lot of just learning the music, learning the chord changes, learning the little in, in, inner synthesizer part that has to happen, learning the transitions, learning this, learning that. Um, I ended up singing a little bit of background vocals, mm -hmm. so I was learning some of the, you know, trying to parse out some of the background So you stuff. started you started this process months before the yeah, tour. Yeah, I would say what the tour was in 
Uh, October, I started it like the middle of August, end of August. Okay, so a few months. So you, you yeah. kept going and going with that process, and then when did you first rehearse with the band? Not until two days before we took off for the tour. Oh, okay, so yeah. what, out in California? Yeah, yeah. we did two in nine, ten hour day, uh, nine, ten hour, nine or ten hour rehearsals. And here you were, the new guy in this band of uh, musicians who had already been playing. They had just finished a tour in Europe or, uh, three weeks earlier, a month earlier. Yeah. Almost all of those guys. So, yeah, I was the drop-in. So how, how did how hard was that? Because it's both a social challenge in a way. Yeah. You meet a bunch of new people, and you got to play music with them. And being comfortable with people is so important yeah. in playing music well, right? Yeah, you nailed it. It's it's a two tiered, double prong thing, right? <laughs> it's like you got to know know the music and just sit down and play it. But then every band has its own culture, you know, and personalities. Mm. And am I gonna fit in? You know, will I like people? Or are they going to like me? You know, and and that's not guaranteed that that's going to be a harmonious relationship. Fortunately, it really was, and part of that is because of the music. It flies back to the music because the the music. I I really love, there's not one song that I was asked to learn of their vast repertoire that I didn't like. I loved all mm. of it. It was just so fun and challenging and yeah. And the message was where my heart is. And, well, that really helps, too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, everybody in that room more or less felt the same way about the music. So that just was a super, very, very natural fit. Mm -hmm. The personality thing, you don't know until you meet the people. But partly because we're so into it in these, for these same reasons, there was a natural connection. Yeah, that makes know? sense. So throughout the tour, there was everybody along great. And, that, and let me tell you, I mean, that helps if you're not getting along with somebody really badly it can really affect the performance yeah I you know? so it was great that we all got along really well and um you know that's that's the story and and i mean you were on tour with them for a long time i mean this was what weeks you were together it was, we were on the road for uh exactly four weeks and I uh, was about five weeks because I went out there, you know, four or five days early to do right. these rehearsals. Three, three days, four days early. So. so in a nutshell, what is it like when you're churning out a show every day or so? Uh, you know, once you were up and rolling, what was your daily preparation like? Did you have to practice every day? Did the band rehearse as a group every day? Or did you just kind of eat and show at the gig? Both. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the beginning, we, so the tour, we flew down to Mauritius, um, Actually, it was Reunion Island was the first uh, place that we landed. Um, well, well, I flew out to San Francisco. We did these two long rehearsals. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was just the start of it. And then when we flew down to Reunion, we had like three or four days off. And we were doing sort of informal rehearsing then. I brought this small keyboard with me that was a I used on the shows, actually. But it was also just a – I had to have it. I, mm. was, I was sitting down in my bed in the hotel rooms running – sections that we had rehearsed hours earlier or the day before and saying okay make sure you got this listen to the recording make sure you got that and then on the bus i was i was had pulled that thing out on the plane <laughs> i was sitting you know people are watching movies and i got a keyboard on my lap and people are looking at me like well that's who's that guy is he like a rock star or something like that what's yeah. he do that's like he's got a keyboard wow that's cool can i listen to what's what's going on over there you know so i was constantly in the beginning just going over the music over and over again the thing about this music is um just i wouldn't say endless but many layers of subtlety which i love mm. that's to me a sign of deep art 
<clears throat> you know, and I would call Groundations music deep art. Mm-hmm. Some other reggae music out there is not deep art. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we would um, rehearse. We'd do a show. Uh, oftentimes we'd listen to the show in the bus like the day afterwards. And just when I felt like, okay, I got this pretty good, you know, the lead Harrison would be like, well, okay, but now in this section where this lyric comes in, there's a little synth line. Can you hear it? Can you get that? I'm like, oh, you know? <laughs> I thought I had so that. So I have to go, you know, and, and, and get deeper into it. So the whole process was, you know, at first I was sort of looking at little lead sheets that I made for myself on stage, which I did not really want to do, but I really had to at first because there was so much to, for me to just make sure I was on top of. Mm. And then we were rehearsing, we'd get together, and that just slowly uh, uh, fell off. And the last five or six, four or five, maybe six shows, um, it was awesome because um, I wasn't, nobody was, I wasn't the only one who was looking at some lead sheets and everybody was having to concentrate. The drummer and myself and the sax player were new members on this particular tour. So we had our, we had to really get it Mm -hmm. tight. So we were really, really concentrating a lot whether we had little charts or not. And then by the end, nobody needed anything because we were playing nearly every night. And the music, you just don't need... It's it's fully memorized, not only memorized, but absorbed into your DNA and your cells. And then as a unit, you're also coming together. And I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that's where the music gets killer yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know right where and the message <clears throat> and the music you don't have to together. think about you're not thinking about making sure you're gonna get the five four bar that comes up and the synth line that comes behind this vocal it's just it's all there and heads are up you know looking around smiling at the bass player looking out at the audience you know making eye contact with some audience members you know and 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 really performing for them and with them and then the band just it's a sports, you know, I, I likened it to a sports team. When I was younger, I did a lot of, uh, like, national class athletics when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what sports? Especially rowing and yeah. then bicycle racing. But rowing was a, bicycle racing is not that much of a team sport, but rowing is, mm-hmm. a, you know, crew is an unbelievable team sport. And uh, I likened, in my blog post that I was sending out to people, I said, you know, this is the closest I've come to that experience Pretty much since mm-hmm. then. Yeah. When you're just getting your butts kicked. <laughs> you know, every day when you're on a sports team like that and it's the same eight, seven, eight guys, nine guys in the, or eight guys in a boat and then you've got your coxswain and the other team members and you're just, you're focused on a goal of doing as best as you possibly can mm-hmm. as an athlete. Same thing here. We were all focused 100% on doing the best that we possibly could night after night and everybody was, you know, pushing ourselves very hard to make sure that was happening. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no weak links. You, gotta, you have to be a strong link. And, you know, there were no weak links. You got to make sure you're not a weak link. And it's a total teamwork. Yeah. It's totally teamwork, yeah. right? Because I can't play all this music alone. The lead singer, even though it's his, mostly his music, he can't do it all, all alone. He needs us, you know, yeah. and we need him. And... So it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I, I just some of the happiest times of my life were when I was doing these the sports on this level, mm-hmm. because you really get to this higher level of I don't know what you want to call it. I mean, music you get a, maybe a higher consciousness. Yeah. It, you know, you get excellence. There it is. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. You get yeah. 
fucking good. Well, you're in a z- <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. That's that's a perfect way to put it. I mean, and you get into this place where you don't have to think about what you're doing, and everything goes to a higher level. For me, the sport that is the best analog is basketball because it's group improvisation and complete awareness of what everyone else is doing teamwork wise and a lot of people have written about the comparison between basketball and jazz but it doesn't have to be jazz it could be about anything because mm-hmm. everyone is in motion together with a shared goal the ball is like the chord changes in a way yeah. and uh, so I think it's a really apt analogy and another thing that must have been nice was that because I know you and I know what your life is like and mine is similar you got a million different things going on when you're in Boston you're teaching your own bands, uh, your just life, you paying know? bills, <laughs> exactly <laughs> all the stuff that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you're on tour, as hard as that is, in some ways, and how much that takes you out of your regular, comfortable existence, you're focused completely on this one thing, and that must be really sort of freeing and kind of nice. And when you way. go on a tour, I mean, this is the first time. Yeah, years ago, you mentioned some of the bands that I was involved with, and I I did a little bit of European touring with two of them and a little bit of United States touring, but not on this level. So for me, you know, this really was like a sort of childhood dream come true because Groundation is a top level. We were the headliners from anywhere from 1,000 capacity to 6,000 capacity places. We were the headliners. Um, So, yeah, you're... It's like you, you, you got in a spaceship. Yeah. And you just took off to another planet for f- that chunk of time. Right. Oh, well, you know how all you people out there on Radio Land, right? When you go on vacation for a week, 10 days, you do that to get away from your life. And right. you shut your phone off, whatever you do, right? You're, just being physically away from your life mm. where you live is the point and you're in a different place. So, yeah, it, it was five weeks. Of, you know, I had to make sure all my dots, T's were crossed and I's were dotted with bills and getting you know mm-hmm. subs taken care of from my classes at Berkeley and all all those kind of things so I could just be out there and yeah. gone and it was just awesome yeah. you know i i really you know between doing these tour you know all the performances and just some killer opportunities for sightseeing you know oh, i yeah. mean we had every now and then a couple of days off like at Carcassonne Castle there in Carcassonne France and mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I was, I was, I loved getting into any new town. I got yeah. three hours, you know, we get in at two and the sound checks at five. And if I was well rested and usually I, I was, I'd just go hike the city as yeah. much as I could, you know, just to see what Barcelona's like, never right. been there before, you know. And I loved uh, Montpellier, France was awesome. And, ah. You know, and see museums and mm-hmm. check out, you know, European style and then <laughs> go walk into the club, do a sound check and then play to a big screaming crowd that loves the music for what it means it's just like wow you know so yeah in another land you know yeah. really it sounds great quite a thing and then you'll be back out in uh next year with the same band and and where are you going to go i, I believe it's europe europe it's again. another europe yeah, yeah. They, they have big strong roots in europe and yeah. big fan base as well as the united states and they're in brazil right now so they've got a so as cool as all of that is you you have some pretty cool stuff going on back home in Boston. One thing that you've really spearheaded and led is this Bob Marley ensemble at Berkeley, along with everything else you do at Berkeley. But this, you know, you have become one of uh, the world's noted scholars on Bob Marley. <laughs> I, it's the truth. And you I know have. it. Yes, you know it, Ben. Um, so, you know, I wanted to hear a little bit about that because, you know, having been in Berkeley for a long time before your Marley ensemble came along, I was used to all these ensembles that. 
ensembles at Berkeley, there are these two-hour classes, and you get together, and musicians run through charts for a couple of hours and sometimes talk about the music a little bit. But I think you structured this in a way that I don't think anybody else ever did, where it was half sort of lecture and social justice uh, history around Bob Marley and half actually running through mm -hmm. the music. Is that right? And That's exactly what it is. It's called a performance studies class, and there's, I don't know how many, but a handful of them at okay. Berkeley. That, yeah. And they're designed for that specifically. Part of the class is uh, studying the life of the artist, and then part of the class is playing the music of okay, that artist. Okay, yeah. Right, so, so so what's your approach then to the Marley class? Like, how do you look at those two parts of it? How do they interact? What are some of the big ideas that you get across both in terms of the music and in terms of the cultural and sociopolitical implications of Bob Marley? Well, like I was saying sort of about Groundation and even my music that um, there's a socio sociopolitical aspect to it that, you know, goes into spirituality too. But... Um, Bob Marley's music, of course, I love the music and the groove and all that stuff, but then the music and the message and the feeling, the deep feeling that comes from it, it just knocked me out badly yeah. many years ago. So um, when I thought about teaching this class, I could have just made it an ensemble. You get together for an hour a week and play the music. But I was like, no, if you're going to understand Bob Marley's music, <clears throat> excuse me, you got to get to know his life. So yeah, about a third of the class is, I don't even... I don't really lecture anymore because mm -hmm. in modern education, there's so much research out there saying that if you know lecture, it's wah 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 yeah. wah to the kids, yeah. you know, in ear, one ear, and one and and out. So yeah, I'm um, with you there. Yeah. yeah. So I actually kind of throw it back on the students a little bit, a little bit more now, where they do some of the the, the lecture topics and have to come in and do a presentation. But oh, that's cool. So uh, you know, we talk about Bob's spirituality Rastafari we talk about yes ganja smoking and what that means to the Rastafarian culture not that it happens in the classroom or anything never like happens that. in the classroom <laughs> no or before or after yeah. never no <laughs> um we talk about socialism and capitalism in the cold war yeah because uh Jamaica was a pawn a absolute classic like you read about pawn in the cold war mm. in the in the 1970s when Bob was writing all of his music so um and then of course I relate it to times, current times. Mm. Uh, one of the things I tell the students on the first day in classes, as I say to them, one of my goals here is to turn you into revolutionaries. <laughs> and they all snicker and they're like, whoa. And, and I say to them, I am quite left on the political spectrum and I am not going to be PC about it. And I'm going to express my views and back them up. And if you have consenting uh, or dissenting, I should say, um, views about things. Not only uh, should you speak up, you must yeah. speak up. Um, some of the best classes that I've had, of course, is when I've got in, into talking about sort of my view about things, and, and the students like, well, I don't know, this you know has a dissenting view, and we have a great class that way. So I, you know, I'm not, I don't know. If there's going to be some kind of solution to all this stuff, we have to communicate, you know what I mean, Absolutely. across the board. So the class is a crucible for that. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, it's a crucible for that looking at uh, through the lens of Bob Marley's life, you know, and he was, he was a radical revolutionary, you know, who mm. uh, he never claimed to be to support any of the political parties, the more conservative party or the, or the more liberal 
not liberal, well, it was liberal, but just straight up socialist party that was in power all through, through the 70s. But uh, for sure, he would err much more towards the socialist party than towards the, the conservative, more capitalist yep. party. Hard to argue know? with that. Yeah. Because he was, uh, he was into, he was not into supporting a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So how do the know? students respond to that approach, both in terms of, you know, what his music just is and feels like and does, as well as the ramifications for whatever they're living through in the moment? Do they all sort of jump on that and create something new and interesting on their own and through his music? Or some, some classes, resist it? Or? Some classes do more than others. Yeah. You know, I five, six, seven, eight years ago when we were doing this, you know, when I was teach, teaching the class, uh, when I would get into some of my, you know, talk about current social political things, yeah, I would have more dissenting views. You know, that mm-hmm. that hasn't happened in at least five years. Less of that now. The, the 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 kids were like, "Duh, yeah, what the heck can we do about it?" Yeah, you know, when I talk about you know the gap between the rich and the poor and the environmental crisis, and they're terrified, and and, and their student loan debt. Yeah. You know, and, and they're musicians after yeah, all. Yeah. And they and they and they you know, uh there was some survey done not so long ago, um, where younger generation, you know, the word socialism, you know, people in our generation, it's just been so destroyed and uh, uh, uh misinterpreted by McCarthy era and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um younger generations have no problem with the word socialism. It's our generation that have, have and what we've kind of seen because socialism has failed miserably with with dictators yeah. through the you know in many many cases but to younger generations they're kind of like yeah i mean socialize <laughs> yeah, it makes so- sense socialism yeah well, <laughs> I, I can we have a little bit more fair distribu- distribution of wealth here and help each other social <laughs> they don't you know they don't have this it means you're going to the government's going to tell you what to do and you're going to live in a dark right. apartment the same yeah. thing as everybody else and you're going to be told what to do and have no freedom. You know? It's actually those Orwellian implications of socialism are now on this other side of things at the moment. It, that's the, the great, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of this is about freedom and doing what you want to do is actually uh, more on the side of what you're saying. So it's weird how everything's kind of flipped around and we could we could definitely get very deeply into this issue but what i what what i want to also uh ask about is how this work all connects with your own music i know you have two of your own big projects at the moment um that you're spending a lot of your time on uh we're going to listen to a little bit of music but i want you to first sort of say what what are the two main projects you're working on the bands that you're leading well there's only really one and that's my my liquid revolution reggae band i call it you know, real roots reggae or progressive roots reggae, and that's all my original music. That's the most important thing. Yeah, it's my, it's my artistic, and socio political and musical contribution to leave on the planet. Um, the other one is uh, a just it's my party band called yeah. called Combo Sab- Combo Sabroso yeah. for you gringos out there like <laughs> me for Latinos. Combo Sabroso means tasty combo. Nice, and that's just you know. Okay, so right. Socio political, emotional, spiritual, environmental, all that, those things are important to me. But I like to have a good time too, you know? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I like to mix the good time with all the socio political stuff, much the way Bob did too. But Como Sabroso doesn't 
mix any political stuff. It's just we we, we just do covers of salsa and reggae tunes, yeah. you know, cover tunes and just dance party. It's, it's a lot of fun. Party. It's a lot. I've of fun. seen that band a couple yeah. times rated right in Jamaica Plain, and we dance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so then to go back to Liquid Revolution, um, what? How would you describe what you, you, you know, you described it as a, as a reggae band. We're going to listen to a little bit of a tune here. Why don't you tell us about this tune we're about to uh, listen to a little bit of? Um, this song is called Drop the Line. It's on, uh, I guess, it's kind of the, my second CD, but it's really the first CD under the name Liquid Revolution. Um, came out about four years ago. Um, it's called Drop the Line, uh, in parentheses, World Revolution. Um, it's a driving kind of stepper's groove, uh, one drop flipping into a stepper's groove for all of you musicians out there who know reggae music. Um, and the lyrics are about, um, they, the song was written uh, around the Occupy movement, um, which had a huge influence on me and so many people and still does. It gave us the terminology 99% and 1%, right? Right, right. And that um, was what, 2005 oh, years ago, something yeah, like that. Yeah, 13. Yeah. Yep. So uh, the chorus is, you know, power to the people, can we occupy? Power to the eco, meaning ecosystem, can we drop the line? Power to the rest of us to make it better. Power to the people, occupy your mind. And then uh, there's some spoken word sections here that really come from uh, all of these books and writers, leftist, lefty writers that I've been, that I was reading at the time and still very influenced by. And I uh, just strung it all together into the spoken word section that, that for me still, even though it's a bunch of years old, really uh, explain how I feel about things and with a, with kind of a, a hopeful solution at, at the end. Mm-hmm. These days people can feel easily very hopeless and, and stick your head in the ground. But, right. you know, we're at a big turning... I think we're at a massive turning point in humanity, and there's that Chinese or Japanese character that means breakdown and opportunity at the same time. Mm. So, you know, yeah, things that, are breaking is, down. There's a big opportunity in it, too, you know? This is a subject you and I have talked about quite a bit. Yeah. We, we didn't always see eye to eye on this whole thing when, when Trump got elected, and you, you, you talked a lot about what the positives are that you were thankful. You actually said you were thankful. <laughs> yep. And I, I still haven't quite come around on that, but I'm starting to see Wait, what well, I got to like explain myself to, yeah, to the yeah. radio land out here. <laughs> First of all, I do not support Trump. Uh, you know, I won't use all the words that are going through my mind about what I'd like to see happen to him because they're pretty violent things, yeah. you know. Let's keep it to so, policy yeah, and we'll things it, like that. Right. Well, what I meant when I said that was, and I think that there is, no, I don't think, there is a big silver lining about the Trump presidency and all this crazy conservative stuff that's going on. And I've been thinking this even back in the Bush years, and people would kill me when I tried to say this to them. But um, in a nutshell, to make it oversimplified, well, not oversimplified, but very simply, people are being forced to wake up like never before because of his ridiculousness. Yeah. The, the conversations, friends of mine who have never engaged in sociopolitical conversations and never thought about the environment, you know, just were doing their lives and stuff, are coming, they're saying stuff to me that's blowing me away about their awareness. And they, I've read, read this book about 
this about that. I read Naomi Klein's thing, but and I was also, you know, listening to Fox News because I wanted to find out that perspective and really opening up their minds and growing like crazy and, yeah. and getting to a point and then also wanting to get involved somehow, right? Right. That that if Hillary Clinton was elected, that would not have happened. Right. People would be like, safe. Yeah. We made it. Mm-hmm. And then we would have had another four years of status quo. And then somebody worse than Trump would probably get elected four years later because people yeah. were going to get more drilled into debt. And yeah. those all those Midwestern people who, yes, have racism and sexism inside of them, what this is that's been allowed to come out, would get ignited even more. You know, right. so... Uh, you know, it's tough. Uh, Sooner it's that tough, we deal with it than later, I think. I agree on that point. I mean, God, yeah. we have to stop fossil fuel. Stop yeah. it. <laughs> we have yeah. to stop extracting fossil fuel, and nobody's really doing that. No. You know, yeah, uh, uh, Look at the weather around here today. Yeah, man. Look at what's yeah. going on in San Francisco and in California. You know, I mean, that's climate change. Yeah, and, we've and just we're had not- all the fires out in California, and now today it's raining out there, and they're concerned about the floods here in yeah. Boston. It's like the coldest, we're going to have the coldest Thanksgiving ever tomorrow with temperatures in the, the lower 20s, teens. Yeah. And so it's it's quite strange, and you're right. Uh, a, people are coming together and trying to react in a positive way. And the, how I want to bring it back to music is, is I think this particular song and a lot of what you're doing and a lot of what I see other artists doing is is a good reaction to all of this and that you're saying something substantive and interesting and original and that has an impact um, about the world we live in. So uh, anything else about this song? You all, you well, have like some spoken word sections yeah. in this thing? Yeah. Well, I, I was saying like I hope that my music helps. Yeah. You know, Bob Marley's music and here's to bring it around. I mean, Bob's my biggest influence really and that guy's music was like he used to always say music is more than music and his because it's deeper than just some notes and go dancing you know yeah and his music was the newspaper for a lot of people in jamaica Mm. and really spoke the truth bob marley's music spoke and speaks the the truth on so many different levels and you know when you get into lyrics and art and music it's powerful because it hits you on three different levels, not just intellectual, some some nice words being yeah. spoken, but the scent, the, the, the emotion that comes forth from the chord changes behind the music mm. and the feeling, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what I've always tried to like go for. So, you know, this song, um, you know, it's if we're gonna play a little bit of it now that we're sort of speaking about this stuff, I'd say you know play play the third. Um, spoken word section because the first two sections sort of talk about occupy they talk about you know how the profit system is unsustainable mm. um and then i sort of on the third verse give a a, a, a bright hope for humanity with All this right. whole thing and then in the middle there's a whole you know go buy the album man you know <laughs> or, or nobody buys music anymore so at least listen to it. <laughs> yeah, right. Or go to YouTube, you know, and by the way, on YouTube, you can also hear some of the Groundation stuff from the tour. So I'll include mm-hmm. links to that in the show notes. But in this whole middle section, you list all these writers and journalists and and commentators, musicians, artists who are also saying and producing really important work in response to what's happening around us. So that's part of what's Yeah, the, the middle section is yeah. just is just shouting out all these writers and yeah. the books that they wrote that I was really influenced by. Naomi Klein, Howard Zinn, Richard Wolff, 
Francis Moore, LePay, Cornell West, and Tavis Smiley, Bill McKibben, Paul Gilding, Michael Moore, of course, Amy Goodman, Yes Magazine, Adbusters Magazine, et cetera, et cetera. So it really yeah, is kind of yeah. like, it's my syllabus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's listen to it. We'll listen to a little bit of that, that last part of the tune with the third verse. People, the outcome of this transition we face can be a beautiful, higher order existence. A socioeconomic system that is democratic, egalitarian, and based on respect means that we will enjoy simpler, longer, and happier lives. So what's ahead for you? So right, so ahead is uh, Liquid Revolution performances. Um, probably maybe do another recording in the next year or something. Um, I would like to get that project kind of going on a little bit of a bigger level. Mm. I'm doing some more touring with Groundation, and that feels great because it's it's aligning with all the stuff we just talked about because Harrison and the band members are write music specifically about this stuff too. Maybe we can get over there at some point for that tour. Yeah, or, and they come around the United States. They're doing a West Coast tour. Hopefully they do an East, East Coast tour. So it'd be great if I'm on it, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of the first call sub with their regular keyboard player. Um, and then this other project you were talking about that's doesn't, well, it's called The Art of Reggae. Um, you know, as, okay, now flipping purely over as an educator, music educator, mm-hmm. um, reggae music is... Uh, a very young form of music. There was no such thing as a, a reggae as we know it in like 1965 or 66. By 69, you had this sound that we all know. Um, so as such, it hasn't really been taught, you know. So I've put together this this educational platform called Art of Reggae that was started by a grant that I got from Berkeley. Mm. I still need to finish the project. That's really just... Uh, taking apart reggae and trying to um, teach it without, with my perspective, of course, without losing the soul of it, you know. Reggae music is feeling music. It's soul music. It's, to over uh, to over-intellectualize it could be a terrible mistake, and I hope that I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you talk to any great reggae musician, it, so much of it is when you're explaining it, it isn't like, okay, you have to, you know, Hit just behind the eighth note on the fourth. It's like no, you gotta go. Got it? <laughs> and the chop goes like this. Chuck it, check it, check it, check it. You know what I mean? It's like it's these, an oral tradition more. A lot of it is, yeah. you know. So I'm I'm putting on it um uh, some names. Like I've been in Jamaica many times, and I, uh, recently a year, two years ago, I was down there specifically to just interview some. Na- well known and not well known, you know, musicians mm-hmm. down there. I was like, well, what do you call this? What do you, you know, Sly and Robbie, Sly Dunbar and, and Robbie Shakespeare. I had a chance two and a half hours in the studio with just the three of us and asking them all these questions. And I knew the answer was going to be funny. I was like, so what did you, where did the one drop come from? <laughs> and Sly Dunbar's like, Manana, 
it was just there ever since, man. <laughs> Meaning it was, it's always been there, you know? It's like, okay, is the song a straight eighth? What, what do you call straight eighth sound or, or a swing eighth feel? They're like, blank stare. <laughs> you know, and I feel like an idiot. You know, we were laughing about it. I said, yeah, I'm a music educator. I've got, I'm intellectualized a lot of the stuff. I have a master's degree and, you know, I, you know, I know about all these terms, swing eights, straight eights, this, that, and the other thing, you yeah. know, upbeats, downbeats, <laughs> you know. Syncopation. Syncopation, all this kind of stuff. And they're just like, no, I'm on a singer come in the studio. We just, we just work it out for the, with the vocalist and the song. <laughs> the song is there, man. Yeah. And we just play, we just bring it out. Yeah. I you know like, what I mean? And it's like, I don't want to lose that because yeah. th- that really is the feel of it, you know? Yeah. And and then these guys, you know, created sound that, and they also were aware of, they said, yeah, Matt, we understand that some of the stuff that we did has been repeated so often now that it's a style, right. but we don't, we never thought of it that way. We didn't create it that way. You know, so I think there's a danger with education. You see it in jazz education, right? Now you've got all these master's degrees in jazz education, and mm. they strip the meaning of the music mm. in many cases. And now I teach jazz, so yeah. you know, I, I part of me is a hypocrite sitting here like dissing jazz education, but I make a living. Well, it's doing a danger, it, you know? and I think everyone's aware of that danger. And and you know, I work in the global jazz program mm. at Berkeley, and 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 there's artists who want to become better artists by studying and apprenticing and. It is, uh, you know, you can always have a philosophical debate about what you're gaining or losing in that scenario. But mm-hmm. I love what what uh, Sly or Robbie said, whichever one of them was, about how music is sort of this uh, uh, this stream of something that's moving through the air, and you just sort of become a vessel for it, or you don't. And it's more about that than it is about breaking down what kind of rhythm yeah. or key signature we yeah. have going on right now. So, And it's but. at the same time, it's like, you know, a, one of my teachers years and years ago said, yeah, well, everybody has to study this music somehow. Jimi Hendrix, who couldn't read a note of music, as far as I know, and was never, ever trained, you know, he went and just transcribed, played, uh, learned how to play like the great guitar players ahead of him, you know, mm-hmm. um, Albert King and other people you know so there's there's education there's you learning your craft mm-hmm. has to take place and pull it apart and figure out how to put it back together in your own way so but I, you know you just some people are more are better at keeping in touch with this larger feeling yeah of the of the of what it's all about than others mm-hmm. you know and bob marley of course and so many other you know the people who are we know and love and, you know. And how I, do you teach that part of it? I know, right? I, how do you teach that? You teach it. I don't know if you can teach it, but you bring it. You you do what we're doing here. You're talking about it. You know, most yeah. of the kids who, who are at Berkeley went to Berkeley because not be, because their first impulse was some feeling. Yeah. It wasn't. Well, for some people, it's like they hear Dream Theater and all those 16s and the crazy right. time changes and that, and they're just way into the math rock and they're into it. Mm-hmm. For some, it's like that, but for many, most more than many probably are. It's like, no man, that that song made me cry. Yeah. When I heard that song, it made me cry and it healed me, and that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that you know, when you get into a school like it's not just Berkeley. I'm not. I don't. I'm not singling out Berkeley, but I think any educational institution, because it gets so intellectualized, you're pulling the music apart that you can <laughs> I've had plenty of students of the years that come in like, I, I don't even know if I like music anymore. I, I got to go do these classes, and I, they're not connecting to what my original love was. And so somehow you got to keep 
that fire burning. Yeah. You know, and, and I actually, in my classes, I try to do that actually on even my private lesson to the Marley Ensemble is all kind of about that. Mm-hmm. Even though we're pulling it apart, it's like, no, 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 the larger meaning here is, you know, on this groundation tour, there were a few nights where I was looking up at the audience and there were some, there were a few people in the front were like crying. Now, I don't know why they were crying. It could have been their boyfriend just split up with them, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, or, or their dog got run over on the way over. Or they just know, read the news. Or they just read the news. So I don't know, but I, I did uh, on a number of occasions after the shows, I went out to the, um, you know, out in front, was talking mm-hmm. to people when we were all signing autographs yeah, and great. stuff. And people were very nice. And I, and I would say, so what? So, all right, I just signed your, your set list that I gave you on the stage. Great. But tell me, can you tell me why you like this music so much? You know, and people were like, well, in their French accents, you know, I, the music, the rhythm just takes my body and I can move and, and I just feel free. And then I, and then I smoke a little. <laughs> Some people say, and then I start listening to the lyrics and they're so deep and they take me even further into this other place of, I don't know what I would call it, mm. but I'm dancing and I'm, feeling all this feeling yeah. because of the lyrics and i'm just like wow that that's yeah. what it that's what it's all about yeah you know and i need i gotta go transcribe all the music and learn it and come up to all the notes and show up on the show and make sure that i get everything nailed and that takes most of my attention but in the end it's about delivering this message because the, the people who go to the shows are not musicians necessarily some are right but well that's so you know, I want to keep in touch with, I mean, that's the most meaningful yeah. thing, you yeah. know, and I don't know, I don't know if I can touch that. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's there. It's, it's what it's all, all, all about. Something to aim for every You time. know, I was telling this, uh, a good friend of mine about this. I was like, you know, that vastness that art and music can tap into in, in the human experience is so vast and to me, it's love. It, it is that unnameable, unspeakable comfort of the universe that is, I believe, ultimately uh, motivated by what we human beings call love mm-hmm. and a positive thing. And yeah. that when people feel that and you can't put words, they're in that state of feeling it. It's like, I don't know. It's too big some to even like understand. It's too it's too, I don't know if I'm putting this in, into words. It's too it's such a massive thing that we're all connected to. Hmm. And it gets so squelched out of us on this planet. But it comes out in art and music especially. Yeah. Maybe only art. And I mean art in the big sense, poetry, music, you know. And to help people access that and to share that with people is unspeakable. Yeah. I don't and like I say, it's like I on this tour, it's like that's how I'm looking out there and this woman, these people after this are telling they're having this experience. Maybe those people who are crying are having that out of body mm-hmm. connection to God experience. And and I'm part of delivering oh. that. I, I don't even I don't I don't know if I can 
encompass that yeah. and understand that, but it's there. Yeah, and it's a, it's a <laughs> good I mean? thing. It's a good thing yeah. for someone to spend their life doing, even if you know you can't touch it and you can never quite reach yeah. whatever definition of enlightenment and perfection, just to be aiming for that is a good way to spend one's life. So nice work, Matt. It's what I've been doing, you know, yeah. for, for with the, all the ups and downs that come with it. But, yeah. you know. Well, that's a good place to end this, Woo! I think. Thanks so much for the time. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take it out listening to those, maybe both of those themed oh, tunes yeah, that you wrote. Listen to the Latin one, the first one. All right, let's go. Iteration one. <laughs> All right, well, Matt, thank you so much. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Learn more about his music, teaching, and concerts at mattjensen.com. One thing we didn't talk about is the fact that Matt is about to move from Boston to San Francisco for most of 2019. He's taking a leave from his teaching gig. He'll be back. Um, he's going out there to fully focus on his music and mission. So look for his shows in the Bay Area if you're out there, or maybe you'll be in Europe when he's touring with Groundation next year. This episode was edited and mixed by Isaac Kotecki, and yes, Matt Jensen composed and recorded the theme music. Subscribe to The Media Narrative at themedianarrative.com. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thank you so much for listening.